University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. Join with me in thanking Callie for helping lead us in worship this morning. That was beautiful, beautiful work. Thank you, Callie. We come to a time of prayer. I want to offer you a few moments of silence to lift up your own needs or maybe just to still your hearts and your minds and spirits before I offer a prayer for us. Gracious God, we are thankful for a new day, for a new week and a new year. We thank you that we can, with you, uh, experience something new, that your mercies are new every morning, that we can find newness and change through our relationship with you. And I thank you for this congregation, for this church family, for the many things that have happened in this last year, so many wonderful events, so many wonderful experiences of worship together, hearts and minds that have been challenged and changed. Thank you for this church family and for all that it represents as we come into a new year. God, we pray for your comfort, but also for your challenge this morning of your spirit as you confront us as you give us a new way of seeing and looking at things in this new year. Change by itself is not possible with us. We cannot change ourselves, but as we rely on you and lean to on you and come to you, you can bring that change to us. And so as we start this new year, we pray for um, expectant spirits, that we would watch to see what new and surprising thing you will do with us this year in our lives, in this church family, in our relationships, in our world. God, help us to see those things, to expect them, and to be a part of them when they happen. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start this morning by reading from Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, and I don't always have my Bible up here in the pulpit with me, so this is kind of different, but I want to read from us, uh, for us from Isaiah chapter 40, so if you have your own Bibles there, you can turn with me or you can read along on the screen. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 5 and then 9, 10, and 11. from Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. 
A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley will be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all humankind together will see it. Then to verse 9, you who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. And he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today's text is about a highway, and I have an admission to make as we get started. Before the days of GPS, highways used to make me nervous. Yes, I am old enough that I remember what it was like to drive before you could just pull out your phone and let it tell you where to go. I would pull out maps before we made long trips. Sometimes I would print them out from the internet and I would uh, look at them carefully to make sure I knew where I was going. I think this was probably genetic, this, this nervousness around highways. My grandmother never actually got her driver's license. She went through the whole process, but getting on the highway made her so nervous that she never would actually do it. And my mom, following in her footsteps, would often go miles out of the way to avoid having to get on the interstate or on the, on the, the parkway in Huntsville. She hated that. Uh, and so maybe it's genetic. It's this, this idea that I want to avoid big roads. Now, GPS, though, took the fear of highways out for me. So I finally understood what it was about them that made me nervous. On most big highways, like the interstates, you get on and you drive. And with GPS, everything is written for you. You get off at this exit, you go here. Otherwise, you just drive and drive until it tells you where to stop next. But before GPS, if you had to get off for some reason, uh, or if you missed your exit, you could really get lost. I remember one time uh, I was making a long drive, five or six hours, and I saw that there was a sign that there was a McDonald's at this exit. So I got off, and it turns out that it was much more complicated than just getting off, because I had to get off and get on another highway, which went down this way, another three or four miles, and I found the McDonald's. I ended up losing more than an hour on that trip just because I took a, a detour that that I didn't expect and hadn't planned for. Fortunately, today we have GPS. And as nervous as highways make me, truth is that highways are a really good thing. Now, Slovakia, I'm going to make my gratuitous mention of Slovakia because we always talk about it. Um, it's a rugged and mountainous country, and there's still not a highway still from this, this, this country that's the size of the smaller than the state of Louisiana. There's still not an interstate highway that goes from one end to the other. When we first moved there, when we wanted to get to the mountains in the central part of the country, there was a highway that took us part of the way, and then it would stop. They would have like signs up as if you know they were just diverting traffic for a minute, but really there was no highway built beyond this point. So we would get off, drive through a couple of villages, get behind a tractor, wait on some sheep. Then we'd get back on the interstate and go again. Then we'd have to get off, go through another little village and behind another tractor. Once they finished that highway, it took us 30 minutes less to get to the center of the country than it used to take. Highways are a great thing, and it makes, us possible, makes it possible for us to get all different places all over the United States. I don't know if you know it, but the, the interstate system here in the U.S. is less than 100 years old, and it's still not complete. 
1919, there was a young uh, colonel named Dwight Eisenhower who was asked by the government to take a trip from Washington, D.C. to San Francisco to raise money and awareness for building a national highway. At that time, the journey from one end of our nation to the other took about two months. Two months. Can you believe that? The group had to cross many places that were unsettled. They were using dirt roads, and sometimes they even had to stop to repair a road or to build a bridge. Two months. And now on the interstate highways, it takes less than two days if you drive it nonstop, if you're capable of doing that. I don't advise it. We can drive on highways to get from place to place, but they're also used to move products, animals, food. Highways have made our world smaller. Now, some highways are amazing to drive on just to see what the builders had to do in order to make the road. Engineers have to overcome obstacles when they're building these roads. Sometimes they build these bridges over rivers and canyons. There are these long uh, bridges here, causeway kind of things that go over swamps. I'm just amazed when I go out there and you see it going off out into the distance. What it took for people to build these roads is amazing. And now there are tunnels that are dug underneath uh, rivers, like the whole English Channel. There's a, a tunnel that goes under there and a tunnel that goes through part of the Alp Mountains. Sometimes they literally have to move mountains from one place to the other. In those places, you can see uh, where it looks like there's a canyon that's been dug where they've blasted the walls out, and it can be 40, 50, even 100 feet tall where they had to actually blast out the mountain to get through. Now, highways in the Bible times were very, very different. In fact, they were nothing like what we are used to thinking of highways today. When Isaiah, the prophet who wrote today's passage, was writing, the Romans had still not come along and made these highways that connected the ancient Roman world yet. And if you wanted to go somewhere in those days, there might have been a path to get from point A to point B uh, a few miles away. But if you wanted to go somewhere far away like Egypt, well, you were pretty much on your own. There were some trails through the desert, but the road was not safe. It wasn't flat. Sometimes you had to go around a mountain. Sometimes you might have wild animals. Often thieves would hide on the road to, to attack passing travelers, like we hear in the story of the Good Samaritan. You didn't go on a road alone in those days, and it took you a long time to get where you were going. And that is why Isaiah's image is so powerful. Like the interstate builders, Isaiah paints a picture of a grand highway that's being built in the desert. Now, in order to have a highway this big, you had to be an important person to get a road like this. Sometimes you had to have, you had, you, it really took a person with a lot of power and a lot of money. You had to be a king or a queen, somebody really important and really rich. And in ancient times, when a king would come, it was an important event, something like watching a parade today. Uh, the common people would come out, and they would watch as the king came home from a battle, uh, wearing his finest armor. He would have the, the uh, trailing, the enemy army that they had captured would be trailing behind them. They would be bringing in all their spoils from war. Jesus had a parade like that once, where the people were out waving palm branches, but he subverted that theme just a little bit. But that was the way that they greeted a victorious king that was coming home. And in those days, sometimes a great king from another part of the world would come and visit. And there's a story, um, as, that, well, as they came, as they left their home, they would send servants ahead of them to check out the road, to find places to stay, to make sure that the, the road was going to be clear. They would have soldiers that would go ahead to clear things out and make sure that everything was ready. And there's a story that's told, um, that we can find it uh, today, that there was a rich queen named Semiramis who came from the east to Israel sometime uh, probably during the reign of Solomon or David. 
and her scouting servants reported that there was these hills and crevices ahead and it would take two or three months for them to go around this. And so she was uh, rich and powerful, so she had a highway built through that area. They filled in those low valleys and crevices. They used the dirt from the hills to bring it down and made a highway that came through the desert. It was an impressive display of power. In Isaiah, in Isaiah's day, that part of the road world was still called the Semiramis Pass. Now, this is the idea that Isaiah is drawing on when he writes. He says, every valley will be filled up, every mountain will be made low. Obviously, Isaiah is saying that someone powerful and wonderful is coming. Today, it's more possible to do this kind of thing, as we talked about with the roads that are built uh, in places where there are lots of hills. Construction companies will bring a hill down or build up land to make a flat place for a road or a building. But this has really only been possible for the last hundred years or so. Before that, projects were so expensive that they had to be done by hand. Can you imagine having to take a hill down all the way down to where it was flat, only with a few buddies and some shovels and wheelbarrows? We're talking about these kind of things because Isaiah's image of the highway is something that was unusual in his time. We're familiar with the words in this passage because they sound like John the Baptist, prepare the way of the Lord in the desert. We're used to thinking of John's ministry as abrasive and confrontational. He wasn't afraid to speak out against the religious systems of his day. And the writers of the Gospels said John was a lot like Isaiah. But when you look more closely at this passage, and the beautiful image it paints, we see that this word from Isaiah is comforting. Scholars believe that this portion of Isaiah was written while the Hebrew people were in exile in Babylon. They had done lots of awful things. You can read the Old Testament. Most of you know the stories of it already. The things that they had done, they had begun worshiping idols. They had rejected the God who had brought them out of Egypt so many, de so many decades and centuries before. Now they were worshiping idols. And more importantly, we read in the prophets that they were oppressing the poor. They were um, being unjust, not caring for orphans and widows. They were placing heavy taxes on people who couldn't afford them. And they generally just were not taking care of each other the way that God asked them to do. And the prophets warned them. They said, bad things are coming. If you don't fix things, something's going to happen. And sure enough, it did. Isaiah predicted awful things, armies from the north and from the east, that many people would die, and the ones who wouldn't would be carried off into a foreign land. And everything Isaiah said came to pass. Jerusalem was completely destroyed, including the temple. The people were taken off in groups into Babylon, which was miles and miles away through the desert where they lived for more than 70 years. And I'm not going to get into the theology of this because I don't think God sends punishment like this. We can talk about that another time. But the fact is these people are in exile and they believe that God has sent them there. This is still considered one of the most difficult parts of Jewish-Israeli uh, history. The people were told by the prophets that they just needed to be ready to stay for a long time. They thought, well, we'll go here, and then we'll come back. And the prophet said, no, you're going to be staying a while. And they did. They said, build your homes, build a garden, resume your lives in this place. And it was a sad, sad time for them. The Psalms are full of laments where the people are crying and wanting to go back home. And one of them, their captors in Babylon say, sing one of the old songs from back home. And they're so sad that they can't even come up with one of those songs. Isaiah isn't just a messenger of bad news, though. Some of the most hopeful prophecies of the Old Testament come from this book, including many that refer to Jesus that we heard about during Advent. And this is one of the most beautiful and hopeful passages of all because it's a prophecy that's spoken to people who are in exile. 
when they're in a land that's not their own. They're sad, they're hurting, they're missing their home and wondering if God has forgotten them. So even as they are wondering if God has forgotten about them, Isaiah gives them comfort and hope. Looking back in the passage in the very beginning, we hear God telling Isaiah, comfort, comfort my people, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And by Jerusalem, he means all the people of Israel. Tell her that her service, like a prison sentence, has been completed. She has paid for her sins in full. Isaiah says, yes, you are suffering now. Yes, you are hurting, but it will not last forever. And why be comforted? Because God is going to make a way for them to come again. God is coming to God's people and will take them back home. And like that queen, God is going to build a highway. If you look at the map between Israel and Babylon, most of the area there in that time was uninhabitable. There was desert, there were mountains, there was wilderness. There was really not a, a great place to live, and much less even just to get through. It's hard. People had to go around one way or the other to get through it. If, they, if people wanted to get from Babylon to Israel, and the people of Israel did, they had to take a wandering path to get around all of that. But Isaiah says that God is coming for his people, and God is coming through that desert. Not around it, but straight through it. God is coming to rescue God's people. God's going to take down those mountains, fill in those valleys, and make a path that anyone can walk on. Not only for the people of Israel, though, but Isaiah says that the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people shall see it together. All people. God is coming to rescue the people and lead them home on a grand highway through the desert. It's a beautiful image. Isaiah describes God in two contrasting ways at the end of the passage there. Uh, it's common in Hebrew poetry to use these contrasting images. First, he portrays God as a mighty warrior. In verse 10, he says, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. His arm rules for him. His reward is with him. His recompense accompanies him. It sounds very much like the, the, the idea of the king that is coming in victoriously, that has defeated his enemies. His people are going to be safe. His enemies will be behind him, and the spoils of war are brought in on the highway. And this is the image that Isaiah's hearers would have been familiar with, a victorious warrior coming home. Then Isaiah says, completely differently, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his arms. He will gently lead the sheep that have young lambs. It's a beautiful contrast. God, the warrior who will bring the people out of slavery, who is coming to make things right, but God is also a gentle shepherd who will care for the people and carry them out like lambs. If we look at it and understand its context where Isaiah is writing, it's a beautiful passage and it's comforting just to read it in that context. But it even has meaning for us today. I know Christmas has passed, but we're still in the season of Christmas time. That's why our candles are still lit down here. And we celebrate not just the birth of Jesus, but the fact that Jesus one day will come back. Today is New Year's Day. And this week, we'll celebrate the Feast of Epiphany. We'll talk about that more next week. Epiphany means manifestation or revelation. And for the first time, God came in the person of Jesus for a visit. The next time, God is coming to stay. And this is important for us because like the people of Israel, you and I are in Babylon. And I want to explain what I mean by that. I mean that this place is not our full home, not 
completely where we belong because we read in the scriptures about the kingdom of God and what it's going to look like when God makes things right. And we're living in between. We know that that has been promised, but we also know that it hasn't happened yet. We're still waiting for God to come and make things right. I'm not just talking about heaven, at least not the place that we end up when we die. I'm talking about the kingdom of God right here and now. How many times have you seen the suffering of this world in the last year and wished that God's kingdom would come? The suffering on earth seems to pile up like mountains. It's been a year of floods, fires, storms, wars, and fights of people all around the world. Even as we meet here, people are fighting and dying. And that's just the global mess. Right here in Baton Rouge, there are people suffering and dying in hospitals, people with illnesses that can't be cured. There are people in this city who don't have a place to live. They didn't know where tomorrow's food would come, on, come from, much less worry about where Christmas presents would come from. It's like a mountain that we see all those things piling up on top of each other. And then there's the hopelessness and the despair of people that are dug deep like canyons. People turn to whatever they think will make them happy, money, alcohol, drugs, technology, but it doesn't bring us true joy, so we just keep digging deep. We survive in a world like this. It's not the way it's supposed to be in God's kingdom. We're surrounded by suffering like mountains and despair like valleys, and sometimes it feels like maybe God has forgotten us. We're in between one place and the other, like the desert in between Israel and Babylon. How we long for God to come as king, for Jesus to return and make things right. How we long for this place to look like what we understand heaven will be, where everything is right and the tears will be wiped away. And this is where Isaiah's words speak to us too, because God is coming. God is coming as a mighty warrior to conquer evil and despair. God is coming as a shepherd to gently lead us home. And God's coming straight to us. God's not diverting around the mountains of sadness that we have experienced. God's not just building a temporary bridge over the canyons of despair that fill our world. God's not taking a helicopter over the deserts that are dry with lack of faith and hope. No, God is coming to us straight through those things and making them right as he comes. Why come through the desert instead of coming by a better route? Why waste precious resources to tear down a mountain and fill in a valley? Because if God didn't come that way, then things wouldn't be made right. If God went around the mountains, there would be no hope for the people living there, buried in suffering and pain. If God found a way over those crevices, then what about all the people that were lost in the dark corners of hopelessness? If God skipped over all the dry desert, there would be no hope for the people who were lost there in the dryness. God doesn't just sit on the other end, letting us work out our way how to get back to him out of our troubles. God comes to us in the midst of those things and makes them right. So does this passage speak to us today? Absolutely it does. We are living in exile in a way, but God is coming to us. And when God comes, God will find us wherever we are. God will bring us out and make things right. So where are you along the way, that journey, that highway that goes through the desert? Are you overcome right now by suffering, by some personal thing that might seem as large as a mountain? Do you ever wonder how you'll ever get over it? Don't worry. God is coming and can take down that mountain so that it's no more than a bump on the ground. Do you feel hopeless, like you don't know where God is? 
to the walls of despair seem so high that it feels like you're down deep in an endless canyon with no way out, don't worry. God is coming and will fill that canyon so that it's nothing more than a crease in the dirt. Do you feel dry and drained? It seems like there's no good news for us in the world anymore. It's like we're in a spiritual desert sometimes. Do you feel like you're just hanging on, stumbling through the desert looking for an oasis? God is coming, and God is going to make that desert like a garden, flowing with water and good things to eat. And there's even more good news, and that's wherever you and I might be, if we find those valleys of despair, if we find those mountains of suffering and pain, God can use us to begin to make things right. We can be highway builders with God to bring hope to people who need that hope, to bring new light and new energy and excitement to people who have had no hope for so long. God can use you and I. And that's a beautiful, beautiful way for us to start a new year. Jesus came once 2,000 years ago, and we believe that God will come again. And until then, God is appearing to us in many ways, but be comforted today because our God is a mighty king coming in strength to make all things right and new. And our God is a gentle shepherd looking for a lost sheep and carrying them safely home. God, we thank you for a message of hope in a time that sometimes seems dark. It seems like there are so many instances of bad news, of all the awful things that are happening in our world, murders and shootings and floods, and yet, God, we see that we are not home yet, that you are coming through the wilderness to us, that you will make things new, that you will make things right, and you can use us to be part of that. So as we start this new year, give us energy to be road builders, to build bridges uh, in places where there is misunderstanding to bring down mountains of despair by offering help and hope. Use us in this new year to be agents of changing and making something new in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Come to a time when we celebrate a meal that we've done many, many times before. But as we think about the new year and how things might be different this year, it's important to remember that Jesus, when he met that first night with his disciples in that upper room, he knew it was going to be his last meal with them and a, a very special time. And they shared a meal together. First, that was old and traditional. They had done things the same way for centuries, the Passover meal. But then when it was finished, Jesus said, look, there's something new here. There's new meaning to be found in this ritual. And so Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to them, thinking of what his life would be like in the next few days and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, afterwards, Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. God, thank you for the bread and for the cup. Thank you that they remind us that you are doing new things in our world, even in the midst of the old. As we celebrate communion this morning, we pray your blessings on our lives, that it might give new energy, new ideas, and new hope 
for this year. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to take the bread. and the cup.